Wild women, welcome. This is the Femme Podcast. If you're new around here, I'm Jack, one half of the Femme Duo. Before you dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up. The Femme Podcast is on season number two. You're about to listen to an episode from season one, which was the Spiritual Smackdown podcast where we invited women to rise from rock bottom. So season one is all about the Spiritual Smackdown. Season two is all about rising from greatness to greatness. More on top of more on top of more. It's where we tap into everything your woman desires. The money, the sex, the wealth, the power, the pussy desires. Start here and then come join us for season two. We're waiting. It's like a little tap on the butt or a huge womp on the booty. A spiritual smackdown is the universe's way of saying, hey, you, it's time for a change. It's time to listen to your intuition. You know, that little voice you've been ignoring. It's time for something bigger, something miraculous. But before you get to experience those highs you got to shift through the lows. Oh, those lows. And those often start at rock bottom. Hey, I'm Rob. And I'm Jack. We're best friends and business partners. We life together, work together, play together. Basically all the things together. And somehow we ended up here. With a community of thousands of badass, beautiful women who want more from life than staying surface level. So we're going deep. This podcast is going to connect you with the woman who's been to rock bottom through the exact same thing that scares you the most. We'll address the fears that are keeping you stuck, the heartbreak you've never healed from, the broke ass months. Oh, I remember those. We're giving you all the resources you need to shift your life and business to rise so that you can finally start living a life you're wild about. So welcome to this space, a space to listen to those hard truths and learn from them. A space to connect with women who aren't pretending to have it all figured out. This is a space for women to finally understand and celebrate that rock bottom is often the very place to rise. So go ahead and fill your cup with coffee or wine and come get real with us as we spit our truth and get ready to rise. Hi, it's Rob and Jack. Welcome back. It is episode two of the Spiritual Smackdown podcast for the wild woman ready to rise. Here we are, guys, and today we're talking about spiritual smackdowns, Avi, but more specifically, we're talking about Jack's spiritual smackdown and what she's learned along the way. And guys, today is going to get uncomfortable (laughs) for some of you. I'm just going to straight up tell you that Jack's smackdown ain't for the faint of heart. It is serious and real and raw. One thing that Jack and I have been talking about as we've been planning out this podcast is the differences between our spiritual smackdowns. Jack and I have a lot of similarities and parallels within our lives. We both are married. We both have two children. We both ended up in Squamish, British Columbia. We run a business together like we do. A lot of things together. We do a lot of things together, but our smackdowns have been completely different. And we wanted to talk to you guys about this for one minute because you may be thinking, oh, I've never actually had a spiritual smackdown or nothing crazy has ever happened in my life. And I thought that too. Three years ago, guys, I was you. (laughs) Right? When life was good, life was crazy, I 
you know, was married to the guy that everyone loves. I had a son. I lived in this million-dollar townhouse downtown Toronto. My husband had a good job. I was at home with my kids. Starting your own business, pregnant with your daughter, hot as fuck, strutting around, doing your thing. You owned Toronto, you know? Like, you were just doing so well. And we're going to dive into this more, but you guys... Spiritual smackdowns often come when life is good, when we are on cruise control, just fucking vibing, nothing's going sideways, everything's comfortable. Comfortable. That was the key thing for me. Things were like comfortable. I was very content, I would say. And that knock on the door kept coming up for me, that the universe kept knocking I kept not answering, and then that's really when the smackdown came in. It was like, okay, this girl's ready. This girl is here and has a purpose and is ready to rise. We're going to force her hand. Totally. You kept getting that little tap on the bum, and you would swat it away. Yeah. And then that big whomp came and literally dusted you. But... Not all smackdowns happen that way. So for me, in my life, my smackdowns have arisen as constant waves, steady waves that are constantly reinforcing my lessons, constantly reinforcing me to level up and play bigger and dive deeper and practice what I preach and use my voice and learn how to communicate and forgive myself. And these steady waves have been my spiritual smackdown since I was in the womb, literally since I was conceived. There have been these subtle or not so subtle challenges that have called me to rise in my life. So whether or not you can relate to Jack, who's had an ultimate spiritual smackdown that woke you the fuck up in a not so pleasant way, or you can relate to me or something else along the lines of having that life that has constantly forced you to take action and choose. So take a minute to think about that. How have your spiritual smackdowns showed up in the past? What would you say has been your biggest recurring lesson? Like Jack said, her spiritual smackdown tapped her on the shoulder for years before it actually smacked her down, before it actually called her out and threw her down to rock bottom. And chances are, if you have something that's recurring in your life, whether you keep dating the unavailable man, or you can't save money, or you've started five failing businesses, or you just can't can't seem to figure out what you want. You know, there's this giant roadblock there, or you've got an addiction you can't kick. Whatever it is that keeps tapping you on the shoulder and recurring as a nasty habit or a stuck pattern, you guys, that is your smackdown calling you. That is the point in your life saying, hey, sister, it's time to rise up. It's time to level up and play bigger. And Jack, your story is so beautiful to teach these women what can happen when you continually ignore the SmackDown, the SS. Yeah, for me, my SmackDown was like a crack right open. It was a crack right open of diving into things that I didn't even know I was capable of, that I didn't even know existed. Like I found this power inside of me and I found my voice and I learned what unconditional love meant and I learned forgiveness and all these things. Oh, I didn't even really think 
were like real. I had pieces of my soul that had kept, you know, coming and knocking and being called to rise. And I had ignored it for so long, but I have no doubt that if I would have answered earlier, if I would have found my voice, if I would have spoke my truth, that my smackdown probably wouldn't have been dealt to me the way it was, that it wouldn't have came in so so hard and so fast. And it did really when I was blindsided when I was three months pregnant and my husband left. You know, we went from like a week before picking out baby names and being so excited about this tiny human we were bringing into the world. And then I was blindsided. Didn't know where I was going to turn. I was embarrassed to tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone for I mean, for 10 days, I didn't even tell you, Rob, for like didn't, three weeks, a month. And yeah, like not even a mention, you guys. And honestly, just to back up how crazy this was that Jack's husband left out of nowhere. So I was sitting at my dad's house and I remember sitting at his island like clear as day. And it was either the morning that you sent me the message telling me that Craig left or it was the day before. Like it was literally within 24 hours. And my husband and I, like most of us in long-term relationships, have experienced our fair share of ups and downs, wild times over here. And I was so sick of it at one stage, this up and then down, and then we're awesome, and then we're struggling. And I just remember thinking like, God, Jacqueline and Craig just have it so figured out, you know, they are so solid. And I literally had this vision of a cement floor and I just longed for that. You know, I just wanted the same stability and strength and endurance that you guys seemed to have in your marriage. Yeah, because at that point we weren't having like the highs and lows, like there wasn't those ups and downs. There was just that like even like things were just good. Yeah, you were even keel. I don't even think we even asked in those days like, oh, how are you and Craig? Because you guys were always just good. Good. Mm-hmm. We were always just good. But while I was so blindsided by him leaving, I also looking back have this very clear memory of two weeks earlier where I was sitting on my couch. Like I can literally picture like the sun coming in through my window, like where I was and feeling like there was something bubbling up inside of me, that there was like something else I was meant to be doing, that there was something more out there, having no idea what that was, and had this like tiny thought of, can I like go there with Craig? Can I actually do the things that my soul is calling for? Because it felt a bit woo. It felt a bit out there. And even though I didn't literally know what this was, I just knew it was a new path that I was wanting to go down and didn't know what that was going to look like. Something more, right? I remember this was when you were maybe thinking of doing a vision board, remember? And you were like, oh, I really want to do a vision board. And then you were like, oh, but I'm going to have to hide it in my closet because Craig's going to judge me or Craig's going to think I'm different. This is a truth for so many women. They're afraid to try new things or they're afraid to follow intuitive guidance and go down a new path because they're afraid of judgment. That's such a piece of my story in the beginning of my smackdown. So when Craig left and I was like three months pregnant, the reason why I didn't tell anyone was because I was worried about what other people were going to think. I was worried about other people judging me. And I felt this deep sense of shame. I 
I just remember thinking like, what are other people going to think of me, if my husband, my perfect husband, who everyone loves, could like leave me while I was pregnant? They're going to think that I was like this crazy witch, you know? I was embarrassed to tell my best friends. I was embarrassed to tell my mom and my sisters. I literally only told them when I was forced to tell them. So here I was, three months pregnant, had this baby girl on the way. My husband was living two blocks away with another woman that he had, you know, that he had basically like met the day before and decided he was moving in with her, decided family life wasn't for him. And all of a sudden, people started finding out. I started to get Instagram photos of him and this woman out around the town. He was introducing her to our friends as his girlfriend People not even knowing that I'm pregnant yet because we were just hitting that three-month mark, and here I am home. And this is where I realized I had a choice, that I could either become a victim to this. This could become my story. This could become my my daughter's story of her start of life, or I had the chance and the choice and the power to choose something else, to choose to step into a different life so that I wasn't the victim This became clear to me very early on into my SmackDown that I didn't want to be a victim. And I had to like have hard conversations with my girlfriends who wanted to like trash talk about Craig, who wanted to know the dirt, who wanted to throw this other woman under the bus and say nasty things better and send me these pictures. And I got to the point where I had to talk to my girlfriends and I literally sent them an email that said, you guys have to stop. This is making me feel powerless. This is making me feel stuck. This is making me feel like everything is coming crashing down on me. I want to use this to like grow as a woman. Yeah. And one of the most powerful things that you communicated through all of this and that you just made so prevalent to all of us on the outside was you guys like, I know this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. And I need to go through this process. There was a ton of up and downs and tidal waves and like shit that happened where I did not think this was happening for me. Like it was not eight months of bliss. Let me tell you that of like spiritual growth. But I did have this very immediate knowing that I was going to be okay, that things were happening for me, that this happening while I was pregnant, because it was the question I always got asked, how could this happen while you're pregnant? For me, it was like, how could this not happen while I was pregnant if it's my chance to rise, if it's spirit calling me to up level? Because if it would have happened at any other point in my life, I would have turned to like the easy crazy bitch mode. I would have (laughs) crazy bitch mode. I would have turned to there had been a ton of alcohol being poured down my throat. There would have been like, you know, the chasing sex. I would not have dove into my soul work. Yeah, you would have sought revenge, I think. Okay, if you're going to do that, let me show you what I can do. You know, like it would have been dirty. And the interesting thing here that we haven't even talked about yet was your soul work hadn't even begun. Like you talk about this now in the sense of like, oh, I know this was happening for me and I didn't want to be the victim. I wanted to take the goddess route and I wanted to really evolve into my power and grow as a woman. None of this language even existed in our world back then. It's not like we were sitting there being like, okay, let's walk you through this. Let's go to an energy healer and go to a meditation center and then hit up yoga. Like Jack wouldn't even sit through Shavasana when all this was happening. You were a wild tiger. 
this is when Shavasana became my new best friend. There was like zero soul work in my existence at that point. Yeah. So can you tell us about your journey into spirit work through the hardest time of your life? Like what inspired you to dive into your soul rather than to react and to take that role as the victim? Again, like growing my daughter was like such a blessing because I knew that the energy in me had to shift. That first 10 days where I hadn't told anyone, I literally hopped on a plane. I ran away from it all. I flew to Florida, stayed with my cousin, did not tell her what was happening, and literally like posted pictures on Instagram. Like, hey, look at how life, great life is. I hopped on a plane so spontaneous with my son. We're on this beach. There is no behind the scenes of me bawling my eyes out alone all day long at the beach, putting my son to bed. I lost 10 pounds in 10 days when I was three months pregnant because I had no coping mechanisms. I had no one to turn to because I was keeping it a secret because I felt ashamed and embarrassed and I had no tools. Literally what started it for me was I was waking up in the middle of the night, like 4 a.m. every single night, if I had even slept by then, with this massive weight on me, with this anxiety that just felt debilitating. This is when I started to meditate. I dabbled in meditation. I wouldn't even say I tried. I dabbled in it like once or twice because... I don't know. I saw some Instagram girl that said meditation's great. So I was like, let me try it out. <laughs> I began meditating in small increments, like maybe only like four minutes at a time, but like six times a day. Because it's mm-hmm. like the thing that allowed me the space to breathe. It like would take the crazy thoughts. Because let me tell you, Craig was living two blocks away from me, from his son with another woman. There was a lot of crazy thoughts that were entering at 4 a.m. And the meditation that's where it started for me was like meditating and being able to being able to breathe. Mm -hmm. And then from there was I started journaling, which was somebody who's never kept a journal before. Like I think when I was eight years old, my idea of journaling was dear diary, like Jenna and I biked to the park today. Then we ate popsicles. That literally is how I journaled for like 10 years. Like from the time I was seven to 17 was like, Hey, journal, just me again. Yeah, like I thought a journal was like the like timeline of your life. You're like like, chronological, like how your day went. So even as a grown ass woman, that's what I thought women did when they journaled. Like I didn't really realize like the power of journaling and I didn't even know how to start. And I had a girlfriend who was like, you need to write about this. Like you need to get these thoughts and these feelings out on paper. I sat there with a blank journal and I was like, where do I even start? And I started writing letters. Mm Mm-hmm. I started writing letters to my husband. I started writing letters to the woman he was living with. I started writing letters to my daughter. And I started writing letters to myself. And in those letters, I said all the hard things. I said all the things that I wished I could say, that I wanted to say, that I couldn't say. But most of all, I asked questions that I knew were not going to get answered because I wasn't. I mean, these were letters in my journal for myself. I was not sending them to people. I asked a lot of questions. I asked the questions like, how can you be okay with living two blocks away and not seeing your son? What made you decide that family life wasn't for you? Why didn't you want to fight for us? Mm -hmm. And from there it grew. From there, I just started to like really do all the things, the meditating, the journaling. I like ordered, I think, eight books on Amazon that were all about soul work. And I just like the more that I could fuel my mind with good, with tools, with resources, the more I started to learn about myself, the more I started to learn about my own voice, about my 
power as a woman. I love that so much. And I think that's something that so many people can relate to and learn from is that when we go through our smackdowns, it's the perfect opportunity to build our life toolkits. What do you want to put in your tool belt? What do you want to have to turn to when the next smackdown comes? And those books that you read during that first big, huge smackdown, because Jack's smackdown continued in tidal waves, but some of those books have been so transformative for both of us. And when you have those resources to turn to, when you feel a smackdown coming or when you're in the depths of one, you don't feel so helpless. No, they're the books that I still go back to that I still open up when you know when I'm feeling in that place of helplessness, when I'm feeling like, okay, where do I go next? Yeah. So as Rob said, like my SmackDown continued throughout my entire pregnancy with my daughter. My husband and I lived apart. There was periods of time where I was literally blocked from his phone. Like I could have no communication with him. And that was like caused a lot of rage in me. I'm like, I'm pregnant with your daughter. What if I go into labor? Like I need to be able to get a hold of you. There was tons that happened. There was tidal waves. And I went through each one and there was a lot of emotional reaction from me. Like the day that I found out that my husband got another woman's name tattooed on his ring finger, there was not a great reaction from me. There was rage, (laughs) pure rage is what you do. That was like my first breaking point. That was like the day where I just felt completely shattered. I just unraveled. I unraveled on the side of the street on Queen Street in Toronto and for the first time, like, raged and yelled, like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Like, you can't do this. You cannot go around getting another woman's name tattooed on your finger when you have a pregnant wife and son and daughter on the way. And his response was basically like, watch me. Well, I did it. Yeah, watch me. I did it. This (laughs) is my new life. Like, this is the path I'm choosing. Like, you just have to get on board and deal with this. And that wasn't like an answer for me. Like I hopped in my car as we were raging on the street and I chased him around the streets of Toronto. There was a full car chase. The thing that was like powerful for me was that, I mean, there was so many times that I made choices that were not in my highest self. There was choices that I made that I am not proud of, but I recognized that I had the power to choose again, that that one moment doesn't define me. Yeah. How powerful is that? Like I didn't react the way that my highest self would choose and I get to choose again. You know, the next time a tidal wave comes, I can choose again. I can show up as a different woman. I can respond rather than react. I can open my tool belt and see what resources do I have that can aid me in growth rather than settlement. I mean, watching you continue to choose over and over again and refuse to settle in the place of the victim, even though you went there, Mm -hmm. you know, even though you touched her hand and you embraced that victim role here and there, ultimately, you stayed in your power the entire time, you know, and every time you recognized that you had chosen the victim, you chose again. At that time, like, again, going back to the language of like, that I wasn't serving my highest self. I didn't know what the fuck highest self meant then, but what I kept coming back to was I didn't like how I was feeling. I didn't Mm -hmm. like the feeling of how I had acted, what that left me with. And so I knew I wanted to choose a different feeling. And that was like my guidepost was like, okay, 
how do I want to feel? What do I want to come back to? And for me, it was always that feeling of peace. I don't want there to be like a pity party. I don't want to feel like a victim. I want there to be peace in my life. I want to feel happy. I want to feel like joy during my pregnancy. And when I'm at the park with my son, I don't want to be in the chaos. Yeah, and I think that's so cool to recognize Yeah, I could choose to make his life living hell. I could choose to react and to go hunt that woman down. And I could choose to spread lies or tell the truth. I mean, the truth was as bad as making up lies, you know, like I could choose to slander Craig all around town and you would have gotten that sympathy, you know, I mean, but that wouldn't have brought on a feeling that you desired having the strength to recognize, actually, I don't want to feel angry. I don't want to feel full of hate. I don't want to be in rage mode. I don't want to be vindictive or revengeful. I just want peace. And being able to make decisions and choose actions based on how you're feeling is such a powerful recognition for women. You know, we don't have to respond. We don't have to spend our whole life responding to the way other people treat us, we can choose. And I think you just did that so beautifully. And that's something that I didn't know I could do before. Like Mm -hmm. that's something that I didn't know I had the power. I had spent my life reacting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the midst of your SmackDown, I mean, you're going through some crazy shit and life is just constantly... I mean, like curveball after curveball is being thrown at me. Yes. Like every single day, something new. Like how did constantly choosing to show up as the goddess and denying the victim any power, how did that serve you in the long run? I think even just in that in that moment of choosing is that it allowed me to find joy during the SmackDown. It allowed me to find joy in my pregnancy, in my relationship with my son. And this was actually a thing that was a bit of a trigger point for Craig when he was like, oh, like you're just out there like living your life and you seem so happy. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I am happy. And I'm like actually like feeling happy basically between the hours of like 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. at night to be happy for our son and to make our days like still filled with joy. And we would go to the parks and I just was constantly aware of that I didn't want my life to be miserable. I didn't want this to be defining me. And so I started to really take power of the things that I could control and stopped trying to like second guess every choice that he made, trying to like force him to make different choices. When he would choose not to see our son, I just switched that into myself. Like, okay, I'm grateful. I don't want to have my son 50% of the time. It's a long weekend. You don't want an extra day with our son. Like I get an extra day with him. I would invite my sister to come down and her kids and find something to do that day that like actually brought me joy, not just like a fake joy, but I actually was able to feel joy in those times. Mm -hmm. I remember when you came out and visited us in BC and really like sunk into your days, you know? And one thing I remember so profoundly was that still in the middle of the day when Kane would nap or take a rest or fall asleep in the stroller, you really took 
great care of yourself during those times. Like you were going to bed early and making sure you meditated. And I remember thinking throughout the day, like, holy shit, like she's going to meditate again. But I saw what an impact and a difference it was having for you. And it was so cool from an outsider's perspective to watch you go through this huge shift. I mean, here's my best friend who literally wouldn't come to a yoga class with me ever because she didn't want to be in Shavasana or move through a slower sequence of postures. And here she was like taking time out of our like days out in Whistler. Like there's shit to do. It's not like we were just lazing around and you were being so intentional about taking care of yourself. And I think for so many of us, it is so easy to deflect our own self-care. And it is so easy to think like, I'm going through this traumatic experience I need to take care of everything externally, you know, surround myself by people, indulge in good food or drink and do all these crazy adventures, maybe pump the adrenaline, you know, like get my life flowing in different ways to make up for the lack that I'm feeling in other senses. But you didn't do that. You know, you didn't deflect anything. You just literally took it all in. Yeah, and I think it was that knowing that none of that made me feel good. What was making me feel good was really like going back and like processing everything that I was feeling, like writing down all the emotions, like going back to my journal from that time. There's a ton of things that I went back to and revisited that was like before my life with Craig, things that I needed to forgive myself around. My time alone was I valued that time so much. There was a gift in the fact that Craig had our son on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and one day a weekend because that time was like, I took that time to do whatever was going to make me feel good, whatever was going to like nurture my soul. Yeah. And those boundaries, I think, really helped heal you. Finally taking time for yourself to break those walls down that you had spent 30-something years building up and taking time to understand where you could grow and the work that you needed to do on yourself rather than focusing 100% of your energy on what Craig was doing or the woman he was dating or the way you could get back at him. Well, that just sent me down a path of like chaos and crazy. Any time that I like focus my attention there, that's when another tidal wave would hit. That's when he would react to me. And the more I could stay in this place and like trusting, like we said, trusting that this was happening for me and not to me, like I just through all the chaos had this deep sense of knowing that things were going to work out. And whether that meant that Craig and I worked our shit out, like whether that meant that him and I were getting back together, which I always had this deep belief, like I wore my wedding ring through this whole eight months that we were separated and that he was living with another woman and people thought I was crazy. They were like, you're getting divorced. Your marriage is over. And I just did not feel that. Yeah, I didn't think you were getting divorced the whole time, for sure. But I, I mean, we were seeing divorce lawyers. So there was like, definitely was leading that way. Yeah, but I trusted you, you know, like I trusted that you thought there was something bigger for you and Craig ahead, which there was. I mean, those of you who don't know Jack, she's still married. Her and Craig are still together. But the wedding ring thing really threw me off because for me, I just kept thinking to myself, stop giving him 
the validation that he could come home when like to me it seemed like an external disclosure or like letter of agreement sort of you know like I'm still yours still waiting for you but for you you didn't even let it shake you I don't know yeah and then interesting enough I mean i Wearing my wedding ring is a piece of what ultimately brought us back together one night when he asked me why I was still wearing this ring. And my response was immediately to put up that wall and say, you know, it's a sweet piece of jewelry. I like it. I'm not going to wear it for much longer. So, like, I'm just wearing it now while I still can. Did you say that? Yep. Oh, you did? Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. Because I was like, what am I supposed to say? You know, what am I supposed to say when you are, you just put our son to bed and you're like walking out the door to go to your girlfriend's house and you're asking me why I'm still wearing a ring. Yeah. Okay. So when did you give him the real answer? (laughs) So yeah. So immediately again, recognizing that my words and my actions had reactions and this was the first time, I mean, this was five months into our separation. This was the first time him and I were having a real conversation and he asked me, And when I gave him that response, like his wall immediately went back up. He got up off that couch, walked out the door. And I was like, fuck. And I chose again. Two days later, I sent him a message and said, look, this is why I'm still wearing this ring. It is really hard for me to tell you that I'm wearing our wedding ring still because I don't believe that we're over. It's really hard for me to tell you that when you're living with another woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And that really like opened the floodgates for him and I to have that conversation of what we both wanted. He at that point thought there was no way that, you know, that I would ever be open to that. The old Jack was definitely someone who was like very feisty, very angry, very resentful. He thought like, oh, A, she would never forgive me. B, she will like turn around and do the same thing to me. And really when I got vulnerable with him, it just opened up that conversation of what we both actually wanted. And we were both able to like break down the walls and stop being, you know, just going down the path because we thought we had no other choice. Yeah. And he definitely thought he had no other choice. I made a decision. I cheated on my wife. That's the, you know, that's, this is, has to be my new life. That's the end of the story. And even rewinding back to the beginning, when I first found out that Craig was having an affair, I... I mean, I tried to cover it up. I tried to put that Band-Aid solution on. I tried to say to him, like, let's just pretend that this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Just, like, come back home. And he said no. Like, he was like, nope, like, I'm leaving. And so then at this point, five months later, I mean, it's not an easy choice for him to, to admit that he felt like he made a mistake until I shared how I was feeling. Yeah. And before this, knowing you in my life, you know, you weren't a vulnerable person. You were rock solid. You looked badass. Mm -hmm. You acted badass. Everything about you was this wild woman that had no soft side. I would say that was the first day Craig saw a soft side in me. Crazy. Finally, this man understands that like there's more to you than your hard shell. You're in the middle of this crazy chaos and like now you're in the position where you you realize that in order to get through this, you have to be the one to let your guard down. Mm-hmm. You have to be the one to bear it all and to become vulnerable. And what you got to learn was that vulnerability creates space for vulnerability, right? 100%. 
And I remember you saying that to me like over and over again. Okay, the more I show up soft, the more love I give through this, the more I see my Craig coming back. Yeah, I can think of the first moment that he like reached out and touched like my belly that was carrying our now seven-month-old daughter inside of me. It was when I just had to ask them, like, do you think we're going to be okay? Like, Mm -hmm. is our daughter going to be okay? Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, we haven't even touched on this, but you also had complications through that entire pregnancy. It was such a roller coaster. And then, yeah, our story now, like Craig says, like, she was our angel. She was like our miracle baby that went through all the stuff she went through, like, in my womb. And then, like, ultimately brought us back together and there was definitely the challenges once she came like I was doing all this soul work but like I said there kept being like these barriers I thought I couldn't break through like I still kept imposing these like limits okay there's a chance for Craig and I to reconcile like if he's home before she's born right then she came three weeks early he was not living at home he was there while she was born And then he ended up coming home for a few days after her birth. And that's, again, for me, was like another big test for me. Here I am with this newborn baby, my husband, who's kind of there, kind of not, who's living on the couch. And all of a sudden, all that soul work that I had just like got me through the past eight months, like I let it slide again. I stopped meditating. I stopped journaling. I stopped doing my own work and then got hit with the biggest smackdown. Craig left for the second time. Now I have a three-week-old daughter. And now he's gone again. And now I'm really feeling alone and confused as fuck. But also really knowing that I, like, this is when I was so sure that this was happening to, like, cement me in my path of, like, what was next for me. And knowing that this soul work was my lifeline. That doing all this work was the thing, like, the tools in my tool belt that were going to take me all the places I really wanted to go. And I have this very clear moment of knowing right then that I was like meant to share this story with other women, that I was meant to write a book about it, that I was meant to do this podcast, that I was meant to bring women together through this journey. Because in that point, I just felt like I had been through so much. There you were with a three-week-old baby, a husband who had walked out again, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, oh my God, I know that this is happening so that I can share this story and experience with other women to help them through, to help them shift from victim to goddess, to help them realize, hey, these tools can help you and to provide those resources to women. I don't know about all of you women out there who are listening to this story, but I can tell you that if I was in your position with a three-week-old and trying to reconcile a very broken marriage, the first thing that I would not be thinking was, oh, hey, I can help the world heal. And I just find it so beautiful and powerful that you were there thinking, okay, if I just stay committed to my journey, then I know I can help other women. It was literally just like very clear knowing for me. Like I was in the park journaling at my mom's house one day and I it like literally embodied me knowing that this is going to be a huge piece of my story that I was meant to share and that it was going to be healing for me and healing for other women. And even Craig leaving that second time, it really shifted in me of going from the place of like needing him and feeling like I couldn't do this alone to 
to trusting myself, to trusting that I could handle whatever life brought me. And then when him and I ultimately did reconcile, it was because I wanted to. It wasn't mm-hmm. because I needed him. It wasn't because I was like winning the game because this is a question I had to ask myself too. Like, do I just want him back to win? Mm-hmm. Oh man, totally. And I was like, I do not want my second marriage to the same man be built on that. And yeah, the second time he left, it just really, I think this is when I really found my power. It's when I really found my voice and was really able to express to him like what I wanted and what I needed and what us reconciling like actually meant and looked like because the first time he came back after son was born, I was definitely willing to sacrifice some bits of myself. I was definitely willing to sacrifice the rituals I was diving into, like a lot of my soul work, I could see myself slipping back into like, okay, this is going to be comfortable if you just stall your voice, if you walk around on these eggshells. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things that all women in a relationship can relate to, you know, when our husbands are home, when they're hanging out, like we want to hang out with them. We want to cook dinner with them. We want to watch a movie with them at night. We want to be taking our family to the park and spending time with our people. I mean, I feel like that's so innately in us women to care for, to nurture, and to just spend time with the people that we love. But how quick are men to, you know, my husband goes to a weekly poker night and doesn't think twice about it, you know? He would skip out on bedtime any chance he could if I gave him the chance. But to know that, hey, my your husband came back after an eight-month affair and the first thing to go were the priorities that you had made to yourself. Mm-hmm. All of your spiritual practices and rituals that you had instilled, all of your meditations, all of your early bedtimes, all of your journaling sessions... They're the first thing to go because all of a sudden your relationship becomes the priority again and your own self-care, your own wellness, your own relationship to self goes right out the fucking window because you don't matter anymore. But you can't do that. Women can't just shove down and push down their own priorities and their own dreams and desires and expect everything else in their life to be okay yeah I even so when we were like reconciling for the final time I told them like this is the path I'm on this is like what I am going to be sharing with the world this is what I'm writing a book about like do you want to come with me on this journey and if not you get to choose you get to choose your own path too but it's not going to like intertwine with mine because I then was so strong in my knowing of who I was as a person, what I needed for my soul and my happiness and my growth and what I was ultimately here to do and my purpose. I love that. I mean, and I think we can all learn something from that, you know, being able to stand in our power and ask for what we need and to declare, literally declare as a goddess that this is what my choice is, you know, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm doing. These are the goals I'm pursuing. This is the type of life I want. And you can either hop on board or you can choose not to, but we don't need to constantly be the ones self-sacrificing, right? Mm -mm. That's why I'm sharing this story with other women so that they can find their power and their voice and their truth because otherwise... What are we here for? Otherwise, we'd all be playing small. And this is the podcast for the wild women ready to rise. So if you're here listening, then you can probably take 
from Jack's story, the exact same thing that I take from Jack's story is that in the pits, when we are down on the ground, feeling the cold, hard floor of rock bottom beneath us, there is still a hard choice to be made to choose to stay in the role of the victim or to choose to try and embody the goddess. And I love, Jack, what you said earlier about recognizing what makes you feel good, not what's going to put you in this place of power over someone else or not what's going to get you the best revenge or make you the most amount of money or even get you the most amount of love, not an, not looking for an ego boost. It's this choice to choose the things that bring you the most joy and love in every day. And sometimes that's the hard choice. And sometimes that's choosing the simple thing and really having to dig deep to recognize what your soul needs in any given moment. And I think you nailed it right there when you said that's oftentimes the hard choice, Mm -hmm. choosing to stay in my marriage and to work on it and to like, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have to work on my marriage. There is challenges for us all the time. Choosing that was the hard choice for me. Oh, totally. It would have been very easy for me to say, fuck you, see you later, pick up the kids every other weekend, like talk to my lawyer. Yeah. And I know the choice of like staying together is not right for everyone, but it was right for me, but it definitely wasn't the easy choice. Giving ourselves and giving yourself permission to A, choose your marriage and choose to work on it, and B, knowing that that choice to choose your marriage only meant continually choosing every single day the work and choosing the shit, right? Like choosing to show up every single day and make the hard choices, not only for yourself, but for Craig too, and for your kids and for your marriage and this commitment to something bigger. Part of that is I really believe if if you don't make the choice to like do your own work and to heal your own shit and work through the smackdowns that come your way, you're going to get dealt it again. So I could have easily just been like, see you, Craig, on to the next. And if I didn't do my own healing work between like those two relationships, guess what would have came in my next relationship? All the same things because I wouldn't have been putting myself first. I wouldn't be using my voice. I wouldn't have like found my power. I wouldn't have used the tools that I have in my toolbox now. Yeah. And ultimately, you wouldn't have stayed seated in the throne of the goddess, right? You would have fallen back into the victim role time and time and time again until you chose her and until you chose yourself. And one thing I think you've done so beautifully that we can all learn from you is to choose ourselves and to know that we are worthy and capable of making the hard choice. It's definitely not always easy to stay in that place, to stay in the feeling of being a goddess, because it is easy to slide back into that victim role and that victim mentality. And one thing that was powerful for me was to constantly be asking myself the hard questions. So if you are a woman out there who is feeling stuck, who doesn't know where to go next, who tends to slip into those victim thoughts and the thoughts of why me, here's some questions that you can start asking yourself. What's one hard choice you can make for yourself that will support you and your higher purpose? 
Okay, and how about this one? What little nudge is the universe trying to give you that you've potentially been avoiding or ignoring? Oh, because, I mean, my stories definitely shows when you ignore those little taps, the womp is coming in. Start listening to those little taps on the bum. And really asking yourself the question, where in your life are you playing the victim? How can you initiate the shift from victim to goddess and start owning your power within this? And Jack, honestly, you are such a beaming example for women everywhere on how to do this. And I am so thankful thankful for you for showing up today and sharing your story. And for all of you women out there that are listening and feel aligned and can resonate with Jack's story, honestly, get at her. Reach out. We are both open books and we are always here to support you on your goddess journey. When you're at a high or a low, we are your spirit sisters and we are so honored and excited that you have found a home here and we can't wait to connect with you. So reach out. Let's do this together. Let's be there for one another. And thank you. We'll see you shortly at the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. There really is nothing better than bringing a group of grown-ass women together. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and come get real with us every week as we spit our truths and get ready to rise. And if you know other women down to get real, please do us a favor and share this episode on the socials. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at ForTheWildFemme so we can give you a shout out. Instagram is definitely our favorite place to hang, so come join the combo there. And we'll see you back here each and every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here. Get ready to rise.